Hey everyone, welcome back to the Longevity Muscle Podcast. I'm Kenny, your host, and today we have a very special guest joining us, John Hart. For those of you who may not know, John is the oldest Mr. America winner in the Open class. At 48 years old, he took the championship title in year 2013. So he's part of that legendary, iconic list of Mr. America winners. In this episode, we discuss that. We also discuss his history within the WMBF, him competing at WMBF Worlds. So for those of you who have competed in the natural circuit, will know who John Hart is. He's in his 50s now, going into his 60s. So we're talking a lot of wisdom here, a lot of longevity, quality longevity. We talk about his training. We talk about his relationship with the legend Mike Menser. This is part one of two because this is a monster episode. We get into a lot of topics like I just mentioned. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. First, want to say thank you so much for taking the time. I think this is going to be a big episode because, of course, your history, the fact that you not only competed within the organizations that many of the pros that we've had on compete in, like the WMBF, you did the Mr. America. So I'm excited to dive into all of that. You have tons of experience. You've been in the industry for a long time. And you won the Mr. America at 48 years, five months, and 24 days. I'm the oldest one of all time. Wow. That is uh, truly inspiring. And I'd love to dive into that. Yes. I do want you to ask about the WNBF. I do want you to ask about my my opinion of them is super, super high. You know, the WNBF is the best by far. And um, the backstory, everything I tell you, I'm not going to, you know, slight anybody or go into any kind of negative. Uh, but on the backstory is, is that I was a active WNBF pro up until I was 52 and mm-hmm. competed in the world championships a couple of times, competed, you know, international shows in Canada and all that. And was very happy with their standard of excellence when it comes to drug testing specifically. If you're a natural, I was in very good standing with the WNBF and I was a promoter uh, with my wife for uh, man, five years uh, yeah. between 20, 2015 and 2020. And um, in LA, it was called the WNBF LA. And we had you know one of the biggest shows on the West Coast. And uh, I'm not in California any longer. I'm in the great state of Texas, as you can tell. Yes. And um, and it comes to pass that uh, during one of my interviews on my channel with uh, Ruben Salas, Ruben was a WNBF pro, and then he went to the IFBB because he had that kind of potential. And he actually won the Mr. USA Classic Physique in 2021 and became an IFBB pro. Oh, now, cool. Ruben, right, Ruben also became a WNBF pro. He was natural when he did our show. And then he went to the world championships twice. In that process, the first time he went in, I believed he had, he took second place. I was a, a a bodybuilding judge for 23 years, off and on for 23 years. Okay, and then in the WMBF, it's standard: all promoters are judges. Okay, so uh, you know I could be invited to go anywhere in the country as long as they paid my my airfare and you know daily whatever. Uh, and then I would do the same for them too. They could they would come and judge our show. And mm-hmm. in that in that process, though, when the when the world championships went to Los Angeles in 2017, uh, my buddy Ruben from Los Angeles went into that same 
men's physique division, and he took second place yet again. And by all the criteria that's set forth in the WNBF, as far as what is a a world champion, top level men's physique champion, Ruben, check, 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 all the way across. And that year in particular, he had all of them. He flat out won. But right before going out on stage, the head judge came and pulled me off the judging panel. And we assume it's because they knew I knew him, but that wasn't the case at all. Most of the judges knew all of the competitors. And it was suddenly a 100% Northeastern judging panel. And in the end, first place went to a guy from the Northeast. Mm. And I simply stood up and I said, afterwards at the promoters meeting the next day, I simply asked the question, why'd you pull me off the judging panel? And they said, we wanted our most experienced judging panel out there. And I said, you never asked me how many years I've been doing this. I've been doing this for 23 years. I highly doubt that every one of those judges had more experience than me as a judge. So I, it smells to me. And mm. as it ends up, and then as it, so I left it at that. And then later on, that year, I did an interview with Ruben on my channel, and I just expressed how I thought he won, how I was pulled off the judging panel, and I believe you won. So the very next day, the WNBF shot me a letter uh, requesting that I remove all reference to WNBF Pro off of my social media. And Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, I'm not going to do it. I earned that. That's true. So, That's true. Yeah, I'm not going not gonna to do it. I never know. Okay. That see, that makes, that is interesting. And you're not the first person, of course, that has expressed some political, has expressed their political views on, I don't even know if we call it that. I mean, maybe that's just your experience on what you observed, right. And what you went through. So, and yeah, you're not the first nine time world champion, Siobhan Cunningham, he's competed at many different world championships, DFAC, WNBF, Yorton Cup. Right. The list right. goes on Natural Olympio. Right. And uh, yeah, he had <laughs> yeah. some things to say too. Like, so it's like, these are interesting things, right? That you start to acknowledge, I think. Uh, and again, that's his experience. And he mentioned it all on the podcast. It's all public. So yeah, that's, um, that, I guess that well, is, you, would you say that that's a drawback from just competing in general? It's yeah, it would be a turnoff to athletes in general, I think. Uh, but overall, I've only done one thing on my end, Kenny. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Christian. I'm a hardcore believer. Okay, so my behavior publicly is more important to me mm. than anything else. I would rather have it that people that people look at me and say, "Well, this is a decent guy," you know, and whatever's happened, you know, uh, uh, he doesn't seem like he's out to hurt people like that. Right. And, and that's really what I'm more about is I'd rather have them kind of know that, you know, well, Jesus walks through me, man, you know, the Holy spirit flows through me. So I'm, I'm going to present myself as such. So even me telling you this, the point of me telling you this is that regardless of how they feel about me, I think they are number one. They're the best okay. in the world. And I recommend them repeatedly in all of my videos. I, I've done this repeatedly. I've I've, yeah. uh, I've acknowledged it. I've told people, if you want to get the best experience in natural bodybuilding, you want to go to the WNBF, 
you want to, you want that because it's a level playing field. This is level as it gets. You're not going to find any more level playing field. These guys, we did off-season drug testing, even though people deny it. I'm like this. I was a promoter. I, if there was a if there was a WNBF pro in my audience, I pulled them out and I had them pee in a cup. There you go. I mean, yeah. I did it. I did it on them. I had it done on me showing mm. up as a judge for one of the other shows. They asked me to pee in a cup. I went, all right, it's fine. No problem. You see? And I, I'll be the first one to say, I'll come right out and say, well, you can check in all my videos. I only have positive things to say about them, but you know, they've dissociated themselves from me uh, yeah, yeah. You know, for, for reasons because I have a dissenting opinion regarding yeah. Regarding one one placement, of one, one event. competitor, yeah, and I and I publicly stated, you know, that was the, the things that I publicly said. I don't agree with that result. Yeah, but it's interesting because uh, there have been quite a few athletes too that have been blackballed from the WNBF, like uh, Martin Daniels, Dave Gooden. I think I'm getting these right and accurate. And maybe you know some of these names, uh, John. Are you familiar with of Dave Gooden? Yeah, of course. Of course, right? I do. In, yeah, that's what I thought. And. um there's got to be more, but those are the first that come to mind that again, have mentioned it on the podcast because they compete in other orgs and those like, so even like if you yeah. almost, it seems like from what I've, uh, from what I've heard from a lot of these competitors, has there been other instances like this that you've come across or? Not specifically, you know, r relative to me uh, and my family, we were treated excellent okay. with regards to the, the WMBF in every aspect. Uh, I was I was treated very well. The the owners, specifically Bob and Tina uh, Bell. So so Nancy, I never really had anything to do with. She's yeah. up in Boston. She she never had much to do with us on the West Coast. Uh, uh, Nancy, I mean uh, Bob and Tina, though they're up in Sacramento, and they uh, are they're great. Uh, that's uh, my exposure to them. Is they're great, but by the same token. You know, Bob's the one who sent me the email requesting I remove all the WNBF from mm -hmm. my, uh, you know, but that forget it. You know, I mean, like I say, uh, it, it, they, they just got mad, you know, because I publicly said, I don't agree with that decision and uh, I'm a yeah, judge yeah. too. So I can, I'm just giving my opinion. I would have been that one guy saying, you know, they throw out the high and the low. They might've thrown my score out because I would have given Ruben first place for sure. Um, but for disagreeing, that's I didn't say, you know, I didn't say you guys ripped them off. I mean, it's obvious that there was something going on. Yeah. And I don't think. Yeah. And I don't think that it was obvious to Bob and Tina. There you go. I don't believe that for a second. They're very upstanding. Uh, that's the one thing I can say that I know. I don't know Nancy like I know Bob and Tina. Bob and Tina uh, are quality individuals. I have, I have nothing. You see, I have nothing but great. Yeah. To say about them. Yeah. They treat everybody with with quality, you know, uh, with high moral standard. I could put it that way. And right. so I, I don't know. Again, I don't know who was responsible. In the end, I just expressed a different opinion, and that that got me, uh, you know, uh, I guess officially banned from them. But I was already retired from competing, so I could care less. And you True. know, anybody who not going to hurt me in any way, shape, or form. You know, uh, you know whether I express it publicly or not. If anything, I've been trying to help the competitors to know where they should go. And right. Now, if you want to get the best experience as well as compete against the best in the world, the best naturals that you know for a fact, you're going against guys and girls that are 
at that top level naturally, then this is the best you can get. There's no, there's nobody better than this. There's, no, okay. there's nobody better. This is what I was just going to ask. Cause did you ever consider doing the natural Olympia? I actually had one in 2001. I won the natural universe tall class and I competed that year. Ron Williams won the overall. And uh, so that was with the PNBA. They had it in uh, Los Angeles that year, the natural universe. And so back then I thought, ah, that's a career. That's it. I'm done. Because the only other thing I was ever interested in was the Mr. America. And there was no competing in the Mr. America at that time. You know, it was a drug show. There was no more, you know, no place to go for me. I thought, oh, yeah, I did. I plan on doing the Natural Olympia in 2002 or 2003. And then uh, I ended up getting married and starting a family. And that was my priority. And so right away, uh, we were having a, you know my firstborn son. So um, for for the guys out there that understand, you know, what being a, a real man is or a real dad, um, you know, it was a life change for me that I took very seriously and uh, and being able to provide for my family. So bodybuilding, I had at that point, you know, at that point I had taken it as a single man. I had done a lot. And so, uh, you know, I competed in both, you know, local NPC shows. I did natural shows. I did you know, the the WNBF or INBF shows on the East Coast, uh, you know, so that was all prior to that. And I said, well, I guess I'm good. And uh, and maybe I'll get back to it someday. And then just by happenstance, you know, uh, you know, God intervention, let's say I found out that the the INBF at the time, that's the amateur division of the WNBF, that they owned the Mr. America rights, Bob Bonham had bought those rights. And so he was promoting the show in 2011, 12 and 13 in New York City, but then it went to Secaucus, New Jersey. And so I saw that and I went, wow, this is like the title. <laughs> There's nothing bigger in my world, you know? So that that got me all lit up to go and do the business. So I was more than happy to compete once again, but that was after a 10, 11 year break, you see? Right, okay. So going and doing it, uh, I had three kids by then, you know what I mean? So I was married already for uh, for 12 years, 10, 11, 12 years. And so it was not, it was no longer on my radar. I just was training for the the enjoyment of training and looking good. And, uh, and I, I just had a higher standard. Like I run around pretty lean all the time, you know, and that's a whole other side story, which by the way, you want to ask me about that too. I have an actual condition that, oh. uh, that I've had almost all my life that no one's ever asked me about, but wow. Okay. So let's, um, we're going to definitely get into that, but I don't want to transition just yet away from the competing because I have a question about that still with regards to the Mr. America, would you say that what attracted you most? And I think I know the answer, but for the listeners who maybe they don't know your full history here, and I'm sure, sure this will allow you to dive into that more, but would you say that what attracted you most was not not also the fact that you're American, which I think is a big thing, but also your your relationship with Mike Menser and him winning the Mr. America. And do you think there was a little bit of that that excited you about that title? Yes. Uh, the, the, sh the short answer is, is that it was always on my heart. And I'll, I'll share with you and the, and the viewers a picture of me at one years old, and I'm wearing a diaper that says "Future Mr. America," and it's a it's a picture my grandmother saved and gave to me. 
And it's really me at one year old on a beach in Long Island. And so as I was a kid growing up, it was always on my heart. And then when I got exposed to bodybuilding, the Mr. America was just for something. Yes. Being American. Yes. But there was something about it that just kind of it, it got in here. And mm. I had I, I know all the names of the guys. I know all of them. I know all of them. I could if you, you know, if you ran off, if you said to me, here's 50, his 50 guys names, which ones are Mr. America's? I can tell you. Yes. Mm. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Down the whole list, because there's only like 68 of us now at this point in all of history. And it was the very first bodybuilding show of all time back in 1939. And then Mike Menser being a friend of mine and a mentor, and I had already won the Natural Mr. Universe in 2001, um, not the overall, but I won my class and on stage with the PNBA or the, you know, INBA, whatever they, they were called at that time, ABA, um, Danny right. Kakos's. Yes, Denny Kakos's organization on stage, um, right before they declared who the overall winner was, they actually said, these are your Mr. Universes. Because it was kind of in bodybuilding, it was it was sort of the type of thing it's been accepted for a century that if you win the Mr. America, just your weight class, you don't or height class, you don't run around calling yourself Mr. America. Hmm. If you win the overall Mr. America, you are Mr. America. But because in bodybuilding, most of the competitors would go on to compete in the Mr. Universe after they would qualify from the Mr. America. If they won their class at the Mr. Universe, it was understood that if they were a lighter weight guy, chances are they weren't going to have a real career in pro bodybuilding. So they all would use the term Mr. Universe, even though there was an overall Mr. Universe winner that year. So in my case, being a bodybuilder my whole adult life, I kind of knew the unspoken rule, right? That, yeah, I won the tall class Mr. Universe. Sure, I call myself natural Mr. Universe uh, in all of my media. And so do all the guys who ever won their class in the Mr. Universe. That's just what they do. But when it came to the Mr. America, that was different. That was special. That was you either win the whole thing or you you don't use the term that you don't, you mm. don't call yourself Mr. America. So I won in 2012. I did go in 2012 and into the Mr. American Seacocks, New Jersey. And I won my class, the light heavyweights, but I lost the overall by one stinking vote. And the guy, he deserved it. You know, Dan White won it in 2012. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a friend of mine from Wisconsin and uh, real thick. And he mm. became a WNBF pro that year. And so the WNBF gave one pro card out at these shows. And then I came back the following year and I was determined, you know, there was no way I was letting anybody take it. You yeah. know, so there's nothing worse than coming in second place by one vote. And the following year you come back, there's only one acceptable outcome. And that's just my personality is that I'm going to drive. I'm going to give it everything I got, no matter what. I mean, if you, if you can't tell from just, you know, some of my older videos, the training videos, the high intensity thing, the whole Mike Menser attraction to me was all about just uh, intensity, grinding, let it go, you know, pull the trigger, go. And I'm that type of individual by personality, by nature. You know, it's just what God gave me is that I'd rather give it all I have in one all out effort with almost anything as opposed to a long, slow, drawn out thing 
And so if I can get a workout done in under 30 minutes and be be it very intense and stimulate the muscle to grow versus one that takes an hour and a half or two hours, I'll choose the 30-minute one every single time. The attraction of Mike Menser was that he had that answer, and I did do those workouts when I first started working out as a teenager, and they put muscle on me 20 pounds within a year and a half, and so I responded very well to it. And plus, the fact is, Kenny, I applied the principles correctly. You know, Once you can do that, it's not just go in there and lift heavy and do one set. That's not the principles. You know, so there's way more to it than that. And then eventually I would come to once Mike had passed on uh, a few years after he passed, Joanne Sharkey from MikeMenser.com got a hold of me and I uh, I handle all of the online consultations for MikeMenser.com and for their company uh, from 2009 until her death in 2021. And then there's new owners and they haven't done anything yet with the, with the company. But John Little also handled those consultations from 2001 when Mike died till I took over in 2009. There's so much to unpack here and, I, and I'm overwhelmed on where to start. So we're going to get into the training because you brought that up and you mentioned that there's more than it's not. It's not just about one set with the whole high intensity thing. I want to dive into that for sure. But before we go into that, again, not to transition just yet away from the competition stuff. With WMBF Worlds, because you did compete at the World Championships, you said twice. Yes. Was that a goal of yours to win WMBF Worlds? And what made you just kind of say, okay, I, I did my two World Championships. They went, first off, how did that go as far as placings, et cetera? And then why did you say, okay, this is enough as far as wanting to, because you you went for the Mr. America and you were determined not to stop until you won. So why not the same approach with WMBF Worlds? Was it the title didn't mean as much to you? Was it et cetera? So I will let you answer. That See, you just touched on it. What was my motivation? My motivation, I've said in other interviews that my motivation was the titles. I've, okay. I've since I, I, on the inside, I, I still think like it, like I was when I was a teenager starting to work out. Uh, that Mr. America, Mr. Universe was everything to me. Mm. Uh, I think if they would have changed the title name to like Professional Mr. Universe or <laughs> Professional Mr. America, I probably would have been even more motivated to train for it. But the fact of the matter, Kenny, is, is that when I won the Mr. America, they they gifted. I didn't plan on competing ever again after 2013. I found out later that I was the oldest Mr. America of all time on that very long list. If you look back on Wikipedia, y'all can find it. Wikipedia, Mr. America, the contest, you'll see from 1939 to today that there's something like 68 of us. And out of the 68, I'm the oldest one. So I won it at 48 years, five months and 24 days, I found out. I didn't know that. But so it was kind of a gift, number one, to win it. And I never thought about my age as being a limiting factor. Uh, so I just went for it. I never told anybody my age. I'd leave that blank on all of my entries and stuff and bodybuilding. So I never put my age down. So no one ever asked me, you know, it's not like you could see the gray hair. You see what I mean? So, you know, you're fresh, you're freshly clean right <laughs> exactly. now. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and now I'm 59. So I'm a little bit older. Wow. But, what, you do not look yeah. 59, by the way. So you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, my Bible says that it gives me good things to eat and he restores my youth like the eagle. So I accept that and I receive it nice. uh, in the name of Jesus. So here's the thing that happened. Uh, after I won that Mr. America, 
the WNBF gave me a pro card because I won the overall and everything. And yeah, I prayed about it. My my family was excited. Uh, my wife, my kids, they were all, my kids loved that I was competing. And, uh, and I really kept it kind of to myself. So I didn't overtly express that I was dieting. I didn't go out of my way to express how horrible this lifestyle was. If anything, I did, you know, the thing was like an actor, the show must go on. So yes. when I would go to work, when I would train my clients, I never told them. I never did. Some of them would say, hey, are you dropping some weight? And then I go eh, a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a cutting phase like that. I wouldn't tell them until after the show. I just would disappear for a weekend. I'd fly somewhere in the country and come back. So getting that pro card was a gift. And, it, you know, with my wife agreeing with me, I said, I'd like to compete in a few shows and just see how I do. And the very first one that I did was the WNBF uh, Intercontinental Championship in Canada, in Calgary, and the pro show. And I took second place. And so I beat a bunch of good guys. I'll give you some pictures of that as well. And it went so well that I was like, hey, you know, this ain't bad, you know, and maybe I'll go ahead and give the world a shot here. And so I went to the world and in the first time, 2013, I took sixth place out of, you know, it was a nice size heavyweight. I was in the heavyweights all of a sudden. And uh, and there was a you know nice number of guys in there and there were some, you know, big names. You know, Siobhan was in it that year in the middleweights. And uh, it was the year that Siobhan won the overall. So it was 2013. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, and then uh, there were some real big names. You know, Brian Whitaker was in there, Alberto Nunez. There were some, you know, big natural body. Oh, my favorite, Richard Gazdecki was oh. in there that year. And, uh, yeah, that year, Richard took second place. And Abraham, this guy Abraham, can't remember his last name, a guy from the Ivory Coast in Africa. Uh, man, he came in. He was amazing. So, I, I was standing on stage next to Richard competing, you know, in, in several of the comparisons. And I think our numbers were back to back, too. So in the lineup, I got a lot of good shots of me standing next to the biggest natural bodybuilder in the world. And so it was pretty cool, you know, and maybe I'll find some and send those to you, too. Um, yeah, yeah, please do. And Richard, uh, again, my facts, if my facts are right, three time WMBF overall world champion, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I, a big... He was, he was, Two-time overall, but he won the heavyweights three times, I think. Okay, yeah. that's okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and then, of course, the other names, very familiar with. Um, yeah, had them all on the yeah. podcast, except for Brian Whitaker. He's a, he's a tough man to reach because he doesn't have much of a presence on social media, which he's known for. Yeah. So it's uh, you got to go through people. You got to go through yeah. the pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you've, you, you've done a great job at getting, you know, most of, uh, most of the guys, the real good ones too, that you're interviewing current day guys, which is really impressive. I've watched all of your interviews lately and they've been very, very cool. Uh, I really Thank appreciate you. the one with the, the latest world champion uh, right now in the WNBF. Uh, he was great. I did a video on him as well on my channel. Uh, but to answer your original question, I actually uh, went into the world championships and the first time I, I gave it all I had, I over dieted. I came in a little bit too stringy and thin. Uh, and then I, I went for it again in 2014. But uh, I had a little bit of a legal battle and a health issue with one of my children that went mm. right up to the week of the show. So uh, I, I'm not one to back out of anything. And so uh, 
you know, yeah, I took my lumps just like anybody else. You know, I showed up anyway uh, in the best that I could pull off. And I didn't do very well, like ninth place. And it wasn't for lack of shape or lack of size. I was just smooth and not not mm. hard enough. And in natural bodybuilding, you have to be. There's no doubt. You have to be just ripped to the yeah. bone. And that's the hallmark of great natural bodybuilders. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And every time I came in, in in good shape, great shape, I'd do well. And it, again, it wasn't for lack of symmetry, lack of size, lack of, I was not considered small in natural bodybuilding. Uh, no. So, so yeah. So what happens after that? I went into, you know, one more show. I took fourth place down in Savannah, Georgia in, in Rodney Hilaire's uh, Iron Eagle. Uh, I took fourth place in that. And again, the competitive circuit, they're they're no joke. You know, the guys are very good. And so I I handed to them. And then I realized, you know, at 52 at that point, I was like, mm, ah, you know, it's just to me, I'm looking back at like the prior me. And probably around that Canadian show, I realized that was probably the the I presented the biggest, best package I think I could have had. And and so I looked back at me and I said, man, if I can't beat me last year that guy that guy okay i know he was hardcore and and he did crazy things like he was willing to do crazy yeah and then I, here i am a year later i'm going i don't think i'm willing to do crazy that was it that was the dividing line right there number one and then number two why stop because i had committed to myself that i would never compete in a master's competition that once my days were done competing against the bodybuilders and especially me, the bodybuilder, that was more important to me if I couldn't improve upon myself. And I believed that I had to be able to pull the crazy button, push the crazy button to be able to be the best I could. So if I wasn't willing to do it and take the chance on, you know, bodybuilding, just like any training for any professional sport, you could damage yourself. And right. I did. Yeah. And I did take myself down that road, pushing it right to the extreme. And I, I thank God I'm not damaged. I, I have the ability to train really hard to this day. You know, I maintain a great physique. I'm happy with how things are going. I'm looking forward to, you know, the next 60 years or so uh, going well past the centurion, uh, you know, down the line and yeah. pulling a great, having a great physique then too. So in the meanwhile, uh, giving up the competition, it satisfied a great, amount of a creative aspect and energy that I have that I had to find some other place to put it. And I geared it towards YouTube and creating videos in YouTube. And that's what's happened is that my channel, can I say my channel? Do you mind? Of course not. I'm going to promote it and everything. I want you to talk about, cause I was going to ask you about what the goals are with that too, down the line, but talk about the channel because obviously, yeah, you've done a great job and it's uh, doing, it's at like, I think 40,000 plus subs right now. So yeah. So Mr. America heart. The last name is spelled H-E-A-R-T. Just put a space between each one. You can find me on YouTube, Mr. America Hart. And uh, yeah, I have about 44,000, I think, right now. Uh, subscribers, it's been growing every year. I've done it for about four years. That's when I really started. And uh, the direction is going up. I've been literally harassed by my collaborative YouTube brethren out there as to where are my courses? Because... I'm a trainer because I've I've done this for 40 years. This is my 40th year uh, since I was a teenager. I've been doing this, and uh, there's I've written three books, 
on training and dieting, but I've never done collaborative or collectively a series of video courses. And I have, and I'm in the middle of it right now as we that, speak okay. because, yeah, that's the direction that we're going in is that I have, hold on to your horses in 2024, okay? There's a great course coming out. I don't have the name of it for y'all yet, but I do have a great team. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I really desired was to have a, a very young, high energy marketing, the whole thing team behind me. And, um, and pretty much all I had to do was pray about that one. And sure, it was about one day later, I got contacted by that team. And so, uh, and I, we struck a great deal. And so we'll see some things coming up in 2024. It's going to be a big year this year. So hold on to your hats, YouTube. YouTube, hold on to yes. your hats. It's getting really good, man. I got a lot more for y'all in 2024. I'm just getting started. Nice. That is <laughs> No, that's great to hear. And I was curious about that because I felt like before, and probably because you're so busy with this now or prioritizing this, that uh, you were pumping out more videos. And now it's kind of been like main maintenance. Mm -hmm. You're on maintenance right mm -hmm. now with the YouTube uploads. And I was wondering about that. And uh, that answers it, of course. So some more subject matter you may want to ask me about is I had been entrusted with or given actually when not when Mike Menser died, but when Joanne died. Oh. Okay. When she died, I was uh, uh, given an entire locker filled with Mike Menser paraphernalia. I've gone through everything now and uh, I just got a list from he's, he's like my brother in LA uh, so I have some, some things in storage out there and I have them here in Texas, but the amount of personal collection books that he had kept as well, like his own personal books on philosophy, science, all the things that were basically Mike Menser, uh, we're talking about signed books. We're talking about ones with his you know, it's called marginalia, you know, when they make notes and books and things. So all those books, I have an extensive list that was just sent to me because I had my boy go through all of them and categorize them because, you know, I'm not keeping any of these things. I'm selling them. That's what I'm doing is, is I'm not the one thing that at one point, uh, this locker was given to me. And when it was, uh, the, the cool thing about it was, uh, I agreed to take it, but I paid rent on it myself for a long time. And I said, the only thing is I, I want to keep everything in it. I'm not holding it for somebody. If I'm paying for it, I'm keeping it. Everything in there I own. And that was the gift. Is that everything in there, they were they agreed is mine. And so they just were gonna throw it out. I said, No, I don't throw it out. <laughs> and so yeah, it was worth a lot. So I they didn't. I guess they didn't know, but that's not really true because they knew. They just didn't want to deal with it. And right. on my end, yeah, on my end, I could keep it. I could afford to keep it. And then I went ahead and sold it, marketed it through my own YouTube channel and all that stuff. So you may want to you know, mention that because I do have still some heavy-duty books and things like that, original ones that are in excellent condition that are for sale. And then they can get anybody can get me through my website. So it's a really good deal. Cool. There might be somebody listening. There's a lot of fans like of sure. that era mike menser high intensity training they might be looking for something like that whether it's one of the original heavy duty books which i know again you had a bunch of copies i don't know if you still do or if they all ran out already but we're running out here kenny we're yeah. running out i got okay i have i have a few left of a couple of 
different ones and they can, anybody can go to my website, uh, mrmericaheart.com and go to the contact us page. And that will go to me eventually. So you can go to the contact us page on mrmericaheart.com and just inquire about, you know, what Mike Menser books I have available, uh, you know, for sale. Uh, my my personal collection I've I've brought down to just a few heavy duty books left to to sell, and then um, Muscles and Minutes is one of them as well. And then right, and then I have his personal collection, you know, his actual personal collection of philosophy and science books and uh, you know private reading that he has notes, he has signatures on almost every book. Apparently. People who are really into reading books, they like to sign their name, you know, in the inside cover of these books. And so his autograph is on almost every single one of them. So it's amazing. Well, that's cool. You know? yeah. Is there anything specific that you will not let go of that's in that collection that you think uh, or that you feel like, you know, I want to keep this? Uh, no, everything is for sale. Everything. Okay. So I'm not a collector. I'm not a collector. So there are okay. collectors out there. and. You know, I mentioned in one of my videos, and I should mention it here for all fairness, is that I I have an entire entire suitcase in storage filled with encyclopedia bound Iron Man magazines going back to 1956, and it was Mike's personal collection. He did the binding on the, on those things, so they're they're back to back to back to back. Apparently, that was something that I guess people did back in the 80s. I don't know, 70s. Uh, so he bound them all and, uh, and put them all in order. So I have these volumes, I have 20, I think I have 20 volumes. They're really thick too, of Iron Man magazines. Yeah. Spanning like 50 years, or I should say 30 years. Those are the books. You did a video on this. I watched this video where he actually put notes in it when he was getting ready for the Olympia and he was, he was uh, reading what Frank Zane was doing. Yes. Yeah. I saw that video. That's cool. So those are, that's what you're talking about specifically those books, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Those, the entire set I'm, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I have to get them appraised actually those because that's a, a very nice set. And I have a couple of people interested in it already. Uh, waiting for the quote, but anybody interested, uh, the more the better. Get to yes. my website, mrmericaheart.com. Hit the contact us page, and specifically, you know, I'll shoot you out a list of what I got and uh, and what you may be interested in, and we'll take care of business and and we'll awesome. we'll ship it any anywhere in the world. We'll get anywhere in the world. Whoever's interested, you know, I'm sure we can make it happen. So it's not a big deal, you know. So there you go. Yeah, there you go, folks. So if you want to. Tap into some of that memorabilia. Yeah. Definitely hit up John Hart on his website, which the links will be in the description uh, in the show notes. So you can do that. And yeah. what I was going to ask you, John, was what's your relationship, if any, with Marcus? Uh, because I, you know, they did a whole series together. And I think he was also, I don't know if this is a fact or not, but he was trying to get control of that website, Mike Menser's old website. That's no longer mm-hmm. up anymore, right? Uh, I'm also mm-hmm. curious about that. Is there a story behind that as well? Is it because yeah. Joanne passed away that that website got taken down? Or, uh, well, first, uh, when Joanne passed, uh, the 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 ownership of everything Mike Menser, everything heavy duty, uh, is they they asked me to keep them private. So I publicly don't say who they are. Okay. Got it. So 
They they love their privacy. They own it. Currently, they're not doing anything with it. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they're not trying to stop people who are illegally using copyrighted material out there. So that part they don't like. But uh, that's for people to deal with their own legal mess. Uh, but so there's new owners. And so yes, uh, when Joanne died, the website uh, went with it. So they shut down MikeMenser.com. Uh, the question about Marcus is originally uh, we were training partners back in oh. the 90s. Yes. And, you know, before Mike ever shot that final video that he shot with Marcus as the subject and his brother Ray Menser was in there, too. Uh, originally, Val Segal was the uh, producer of that video. And Val asked me to shoot the video. And, you know, they were they were paying $1,000 to do it. And I, I said to him, you know, um, I don't want the thousands. This is going to be going for decades to come. So I'd rather have some on the back end. I'd rather have a percentage on the back end. And they were sure they can get somebody to do it for a thousand. They were right. And I said, no. And so the very next day, who would they get? My training partner. They got uh, Marcus. And so Marcus went ahead and he did it. And I'm fine with that. And, uh, you know, we were friends at one point and we trained with each other and we were, you know, both were students of Mike Menser. Uh, Marcus always had an online presence and I don't know whatever happened to that because he ended up you know, moving to Vegas and I heard he came on some tough times of various sorts. Um, but, uh, you know, he he chooses not to be associated with me. And ah. uh, there was a, I wouldn't call it a falling out as much as a uh, uh, drift. A drift that on on my part, I was not interested in doing anything, being involved in anything that was going to negatively affect Joanne. Okay, Joanne Sharkey owned MikeMenser.com and Heavy Duty from the day that he passed in 2001 until she passed in 2021. And I loved her very much. So anybody, I worked for her, but I loved her very much. And so Anybody who was going to do anything that would negatively impact her, I was not having any part of. So uh, Marcus, whatever he was doing, uh, I was, you know, for for lack of trying to, I don't want to make, make be all negative towards him in any way, but whatever he was doing, I believed was not going to positively affect her. So I chose not to be involved. And that effectively uh ended our friendship in his mind. And so he was not happy about that at all. So I, I pray for him. I do. And I, I've prayed for him and I, I hope he's doing well and, and in good health, but we have nothing to do with each other uh, to this day at this point. Gotcha. I should gotcha. Say. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's interesting because also the fact that he did have an online presence at one point, but yeah, I'm sure some of that's related to what you had mentioned. He came across hard times or maybe his goal shifted priority shifted, but sure. Do you have, do you have any, and again, I think I know the answer, but I don't want to assume any regrets for not doing those videos. Cause obviously they're quite they're they've been passed around like crazy mm. and they've have hundreds of thousands mm. of views, if not millions, uh, in with some of them, I think at this point, especially yeah. added up from all of the videos that have been passed. But are any regrets for not doing the video for the thousand? <sighs> no. Uh the the quick answer is no. Number one, uh, I'm, I'm a businessman when it comes to 
you know, most, most of this. And, and I, while here's the, here's the contradiction of terms uh, sort of to say with regards to myself, while I was in competitive bodybuilding for the titles and I loved and enjoyed the titles getting, working towards achieving a title, big name titles. I like natural Mr. Universe. I like Mr. America. Uh, seeking fame was never my motivation as much. I wanted the money from that business deal with Heavy Duty and Mike Menser. I wanted a percentage knowing I knew the future in that one case. And since that time, uh, you know, I've been very independent. Uh, I, I, I am known for being, you know, the guy that did handle the consultations for Mike Menser, uh, this clients all around the world that I worked with on behalf of Joanne and heavy duty. And so they know, you know, I was doing that, but as far as doing the video goes, uh, it was, it was so poorly done <laughs> and it was all shot in a matter of a day or two. And the, the weights being used in those workouts with the artificially slow repetitions that, Mike never trained me on. Uh, he, yeah, here's a little bit, little tidbit for most of you guys who may not have heard this, but you know, Mike never trained anybody until the last few months of his life. He was not training clients with, you know, the, he did do them with four second negatives, but on the concentric, on the positive, lifting the weight up, there were no four second concentrics. That's not the truth. It, it was only the last few months of his life. He was experimenting with that. And it, the fact that it made it into the video, I was like, wow. So to this day, I regret the fact that, well, I don't regret it, but I wish they never shot the video because mm. it, there's so many people today. Yeah, there's so many people today that assume that associate super slow motion with high intensity training, with heavy duty training. And meanwhile, you could look back at you know Mike's videos with his brother Ray from the 80s, the 70s, and you'll see they were not training with anything even close to a slow motion at all cadence. There was none. And when he trained me in the early 90s, uh, the the cadence was a controlled three or four second negative and explosive positive. And if there was something that had a peak contraction on it, like a, like a pec deck or a curl machine, we would hold it for a moment in the fully contracted position because he believed that had a lot to do with simulating growth. But the one thing I do regret about not having done that video is that when I was training under Mike in the 90s, okay, this is prior to cell phones. This is prior to, we didn't even have, we had pagers back then, okay? When I would go to train with Mike at Gold's Gym in Venice, I was kind of a private guy, you know? And I didn't have somebody come and take pictures of me training with him. I wished I did. I wished somebody videoed it. I I look back saying, wow, I don't have one picture of he and I just standing next to each other. There's not one. Wow. So I was never like that guy to carry a camera around with me. Marcus was. Here's a little credit to Marcus. He always was. He always had a camera or a video with him at all times. I never was that guy. I just wanted to train suck up all the information I could, apply it to my own training, you know, and then move on and do it with other people, my clients. So Mike, it ends up, we found out later on after I initially trained with him that I lived right near him on the same block. And so 
we, we were conducting our business out of the same gym, both of us individually. And so I was learning from him. He would train me. I trained clients and so on and so forth. Throughout a year, I would go back to train with him again. And, you know, we were just personally friends at that point. And so um, I don't regret that. I, I, I just wish the video wasn't around for that one reason, because I get so many people online on my own videos in my own comment section telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about or that I don't know what I'm doing because they've seen me do a curl and I did it way too fast. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So. The the super slow is uh, is. Yeah, we, we could get into that, but I want to we're going to get into the training side of things. But before we do. I suppose it was rare to hold a camera around in the 90s, right? Or like some sort of oh, video. Not like today, yeah. right? No, no. It's, yeah, for all of you all who wonder, where are all the videos? Where's all the pictures from, you know, from those early 90s sections? Ask yourself this one question. You've seen pictures of Dorian training with Mike Menser. You know, Mr. Olympia 1992, as he's training in preparation for the 1993 Mr. Olympia, He's, he's, there's videos of him using a curl machine, doing right. some chest exercises with Mike Messer, doing a pull down, a row. But wait a second. Where's all the video? This was Mr. Olympia. There was this much video of Mr. Olympia from the same time period that I was training with Mike. 1992, 93, 94. And that era is when I was training with Mike. Just when Dorian would come to town to train with him, too. This, he has what? It's the same handful of pictures, five, six pictures maybe, of Dorian being trained by Mike. And that's it. There's nothing, nothing. No one even took their cell phone out across the gym and did this, which everybody does today. So With the flip, they had the flip. In, was there a flip phone back then? It was the 90s. There was nothing, right? In the 90s. You had the, the disposable cameras, but we had we had Polaroids, but I'll tell you what we had. I owned a side business at the time, and it was a coin-operated kitty ride business. It was all over Southern California, from Mexico all the way halfway up the state. So I would do a lot of driving on days I wasn't training clients. I would reserve days to do that, and I had three guys working for me. So when I would do that, I would have to have, because I drive around the mountains and all that, I'd have to have an actual cell phone in my truck. So in my glove compartment, I would never use it. I always had it fully charged. The thing was industrial strength. It was bigger than my head. I mean, it was this big, and then it had an antenna that was longer than that. So that was the going cell phone of right. the early 90s. So oh. it quickly changed from that to the Nokia that was around the late 90s. It was like a little rectangular phone. And then the flip phone came after that. And then, of course, we went to smartphones in the early 2000s or, or you know, 2010 or so, everything went blew up with smartphones. So right. the world has changed because of that. The world has changed. But that's the reason why you don't see pictures, many pictures of Dorian or many, any, any pictures of me and him. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad at least some people can verify that I was, you know, handling the heavy duty consultations for, you know, 11, 12 years, you know, from 2008 to 2021 yeah something like that wow yeah that's a great point i never thought about it where is the footage you're right only the pictures like that's in john little's book the high intensity training mike menser way i believe he has the pictures with him and dorian mike and training dorian yates but there's no do i have that i think they're in that book 
I know they're yeah. one of the books, right? One of the, or is it the heavy duty where the pictures of Mike and Dorian? Uh, the original heavy duty, he's in there, heavy duty with the white but, cover. But he was also, then, what did, was, were there pictures? I have the book. I, I have to go back and check, but I feel like I saw mm-hmm. those pictures in the Mike, the Mike Menser, uh, high intensity training, the Mike Menser way. Mike Menser way. Yeah, I believe they're yeah. in that book as well, but. Nonetheless, yeah, there's no there's no video, and I never put the two and two together. It makes sense that there wouldn't be unless yeah someone went out of their way to bring that that video camera, which was rare, super nope. rare, probably. Yeah, um, cool. So what what drove you? Like, okay, you mentioned Mike in the '90s, and I want to talk about a few things again with the training. But before we do, the listeners are like, "Come on, get into the training. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there." <laughs> How did you meet Mike? Like, let's start. I know it's been said before, but for the listeners who may have not known, what was your first interaction with him? What made you want to reach out to him? And what year was it when you met him? Okay. Uh, what what made me eventually want to reach out to him was that he was my, my very initial exposure to bodybuilding uh, as far as training goes. Okay. I had read an old issue of Muscle Builder magazine with Frank and Christine Zane on the cover in 1980. In 1979, Mr. Olympia had just happened. Mike Menser took second place. And that magazine contained articles from all of the champions of the day. And Mike was the one that made sense to me. And I hadn't even started training yet. I was just researching. I'm, I'm that way first. I want to know what I'm doing first before I go and do it. And his approach was the one that made sense to me. So I got a hold of his training uh, uh, brochures that he had in the magazines at the time. And I was just a teenager and I sent cash in an envelope to him in California. And he actually sent me the brochures. So believe it, coins and everything in those envelopes, in that envelope, by the way. And, uh, and so I just followed those routines, but the, the, as time would go on, I was in California. I moved from New York to California when I was about 21. And, at that time, I would go and work out at Gold's Gym in Venice and World Gym in Santa Monica at the time. And going to Gold's Gym in Venice, the front parking lot, which is still the front parking lot to this day, that parking lot, I would park each morning I would go to work out. And one day I was parked right next to, it, it, I think it was a Hornet. That was the type of car way back when, a Hornet or a Pacer, it was some beat up old car. And uh, sleeping in the back was Mike Menser. So at that time, he was still going through the phase of coming out of the the hospitals. He had, you know, been committed to a, a mental institution at one point between 1982-ish or three, and wow. then, and then, yeah, and then it that's was just, like that's shortly after the Olympia. That's surprising. Yeah, yeah. well, he had a, a he had a problem with methamphetamines, with amphetamines, I should say, not methamphetamine, but amphetamines was the name he would say, mm. and so. It caused psychosis and he went off his rocker for a while. And it wasn't until like, oh, 1989 or 1990 that he came out of it. So he was on the streets in 1988, 89, sleeping in cars. And that's where I saw him. He was sleeping in the back of a car. And and it was around that 1989 time period. So he had about six years or so that he was, you know, not quite all there. And he he got it together and he grabbed a hold of himself. He was one of the success stories for getting out of a mental institution. And 
in the early 90s was when he started his personal training business. So mm. I was already a bodybuilder competing, uh, a competing competitive bodybuilder in the local uh in the local shows in Southern California, I did a few small shows and, and, uh, and natural shows. And, and then next thing you know, uh, in one of those muscle magazines that had an article written by him where he was expressing yet again, the same training principles that I knew worked. And I was using them somewhat in my training because of Dorian Yates, Dorian was still doing a little bit more than what Mike Menser eventually told him to do. And so I was too. I was sort of doing what Dorian Yates did with my training partner. And so we were doing a little bit more than what Mike Menser would have us do. But at the end of the article, Mike said in the article, he put his phone number, his actual phone number, and said, get a hold of me if you're interested in training and if you're in the Southern California area. So I called the number and I left a, a voicemail message. It was an answering machine. And that night, I was in my garage working on some equipment and he called me very late at night and uh, it was actually him. And we talked and we talked for two hours and we went, uh, he talked about everything, training to life, to philosophy, to his history. He asked me a ton of questions about me and we actually were already becoming friends at that point because he was very personable with the people that he worked with. That's, that's true. A lot of the, a lot of the men and women who he's worked with over the years, they would probably, I noticed they all say similar, that he would take mm -hmm. a lot of time with them and they did become friends, a lot of them, not just clients. And so that's, that was the case in my case. I became mainly friends with him as opposed to client. So it made me want to reach out to him and train with him. And I was very excited to, and I would go to Gold's gym and train with him and get the most intense workouts. We'd be done in 17 minutes. And, and some of the guys, they'd be asking me because they'd see me training with them. They asked a whole bunch of questions and, and it was great. You know, I mean, I grew from it. I grew yet again from it. So I knew it was the best way, you know, for me at least. And I, wow. I take the principles, I take the principles, I apply it to my clients and, you know, it's not one of the things I could say, obviously you're asking a lot of questions about Mike Menser. This has been sort of like the year of, of hit of high intensity training. And in you, yeah. In YouTube yeah. land. Right. John. Right? And, I, and I give some credit. I give credit to you, of course. And uh, John little with the heavy duty college channel, which he transitioned that name, but that I think helped explode yeah. the res resurgence of Mike. Uh, alongside your channel and then everybody just started making videos and even ripping off the content i've seen i've seen literal literally i've seen videos from john's channel yes. on other people's channel and it's a uh, similar content that john's like he's very good at, at uh, basically taking the same content from like yeah. 45 videos ago and just putting different pictures and then people eat it up they just love the videos yeah, he he um, he has a lot of audio files. That's what he owns. He has a lot of personal audio files of him speaking to Mike on the phone and recording it. And Mike knew that. And so they're very unique. And then he also has a lot of his seminars that he was putting up. And and then, of course, yes, a lot of people have ripped it off and they've 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 used it, you know, uh, you know, fair use, right? You know, yeah, the yeah. fair use thing, copyright, fair use. So for whatever use, some of them are not doing it fair use. Some of them are just, you know, <laughs> copying the video straight up and putting it straight on their channel. And, yeah. and you know, it, it takes a particular worm to do something like that. You know, that's not something I do. I usually ask the people if I've used part of their video or 
if I'm using part of the video, it's usually because uh, I'm giving them a compliment. And, and, you know, I like it when people do that with me, you know, go ahead and of use course. part of my video. If, if you're, you know, it's nice being asked, of course, but yeah, fair, there's fair use in YouTube lands, there's fair use. And yeah, I get that. And it has propelled high intensity training to a great degree. So I'm, I'm fine with that. And, and yeah, it's a business deal for me. You know, I, I, while I enjoy sharing information with people and helping people, that's really the one part of this. I really enjoy is helping people. Uh, I'm glad when I see people who have been following my channel for like three or four years and they say, Hey, it's because of you, you know, that I went back to high intensity training. It's changed my life. And it's usually a lot of the guys that, you know, they either they just got got lost with higher volume training and they, and they right. took it to a ridiculous degree or they got injured and things like that. And then they go back to high intensity training and they find that it's not, you know, high force training. It's high intensity effort training. So there's right. There's different names we could give. It. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk. Now's the time. Let's talk about yeah. the training. Let's talk about let's do this in a, in an interesting order because of the story we just heard with Mike Menser and, and your relationship with him. But what was the training routine system, if you will, that you were engaging in prior to Mike? And then how did it evolve once you started with Mike? So um, I had been with my training partner. We were doing a, oh, a three time a week. It was a, uh, an ABA split, ABA, BAB. Like that. One week it was A B A. Second week was B A B. And what do I mean by that? Half the body. Okay. So one workout would be the A workout would be uh, chest, back, and shoulders. The B workout would be legs and arms, like that. And we would just rotate them. You know, A B A. Week one, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Following weekend, the following week, B A B. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So in the course of two weeks, we would do each body part. One, two, three times. And very intense, very brief for the workouts and uh, fast, you know, fast, moving through them fast. And we were doing, you know, one or two sets. I'll be clear, one or two sets. So then I had the best training partner of all time for me. His name is Steve Ballinger. He's in Southern California and he's like a big brother to me. And when we hooked up with training, it was that Dorian Yates uh, routine, that four-day split that he did as a professional, uh, the first workout. And it was one set of everything, and sometimes two, very rarely two. But uh, it was the first workout of the week would be shoulders and triceps, uh, shoulders, traps, and triceps. The second workout, so that'll be on a Monday. Tuesday would be back alone and we would throw calves with it so back and calves and then we'd take a day off so we'd go monday tuesday and we'd take a day off and we would come in on the third workout which would be on thursday that week and we would do uh this is my split how i did i know some people on your channel are going to blow up the comment section because they're going to say that's not how dorian did it the way i did it <laughs> on day on the third workout i did legs on that third workout and that would be on Thursday. And legs were always a strong point for myself and for Steve. So we didn't mind training them that day. And then we would generally train the next day and do chest and biceps. We both needed more chest and biceps. So we would finish the week off with chest and biceps. The workouts were intense. They were 
just like carbon copy off of what Dorian had on had been showing on the internet at the time. Uh, single set training mostly, uh, forced reps, negatives. Uh, it was mainly forced reps and negatives at that point. We were doing on each other. Big weights, good form. We grew. And that routine we were doing right up until when that fateful day when I called Mike Menser. And then I I actually had both myself and my training partner. We trained with Mike separately. So both of us went in and trained with him. And so we would both drive you know, to Venice and separately with two separate appointments because you know Mike tra- liked to train people uh, one at a time. And we'd be done in 17 minutes anyway. So uh, that routine that he did on us. So we graduated from that and uh, concurrent with Dorian, by the way, Dorian went from two sets of everything. We went from one or two to one set only at that point. And so did Dorian in 93 and he grew like a beast and so did we. And so we went to one set of everything, but what workout did we do different than Dorian? We didn't keep doing the Dorian routine. We did Mike's ideal routine. The ideal routine was one where Mike still listed it as this is all this is in one week now, right? Let's say on Monday you do chest and back, and that would include deadlifts, chest and back. You rest four days, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you train legs and abs. Okay. So that's it for the week. That's it. Nothing else. And then you go four more days. So you go. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the following week. So now we're in week week two. You start the week off with shoulders and arms. And then four days off, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that week, you're doing legs again. So this routine Mike outlined at the time in Heavy Duty 2, Mind and Body. And in that book, he also outlined all the reasons why he did that in that manner. He was trying to avoid overlapping, training the same upper body, body parts so many times in one week to try and maximize the growth of those muscles. And it worked. However, I prefer, like when I taught it for heavy duty, for Joanne, and even to this day, when I address it with people, I like to say, and and for you, dear listener, please hear me on this one, on Kenny's channel. If you find the ideal routine and you find the details of it in one of Mike's books, and it is in High Intensity Training the Mike Menser Way, it's in that book, the ideal routine. If you do find that routine, understand it's better to think of it as upper, lower. The next week, upper, lower. Don't think of it like, oh, I'm only training my chest once every 14 days. You know, that's not the case. And the reason why is because. Mike included on the shoulder and arm day, he included close grip bench presses or dips, or in my case, I have people doing pullover presses. So you do use your chest trained indirectly, but to failure. So if you're stimulating the muscle yet again on that week, then you did stimulate the muscle again. You trained chest again in the middle of a chest, uh, shoulder and arm workout, you see. And what about the back? People would say it all the time to me. 
Oh, even to this day. Oh, I can't, I don't do any lat work. Oh, for two weeks. Wow, that's crazy. That doesn't work. It's a bunch of crap. Well, here's your nugget on that one, okay? No, it's not crap. Not when you're over here doing your biceps and you do a set of curls and then you immediately follow it up with chin-ups. You jump on a chin-up bar. So you do pre-exhaust. You pre-fatigue your bicep and then you immediately, no rest, under three seconds, do your curls underneath a chinning bar. And then you reach up, grab the bar and go. But what's the problem? Now, some of you guys are going, what? What did he say? Where did he do that? Well. I'm pointing out to you, just because you have high-intensity training the Mike Mentzer way, that one book, it does not have that part of the workout in there as far as doing those chin-ups on that bicep workout. At that point, ready for this? You said it was John Little's book. Let me correct you. It wasn't hmm. John Little's book. His name is on the bottom of the front cover of the book, okay? That book, the manuscript, was written by Mike. It was almost completed when he died, okay? So McGraw-Hill or whatever the company is, they had a contract. He didn't finish it. Both John Little and Joanne finished the book. So I don't know. I don't know what happened with them, why they did that. I tried to talk to Joanne several times about this because there were – I did a video on this called The Flaw in Mike Menser's routine. So if you go back on my channel and find that video, you'll see all the details of what I show. One of the major problems with high-intensity training the Mike Menser way is that he has a pre-exhaust workout of the leg extension to the leg press or leg extension to the squat immediately with no rest, 12 to 20 reps each. It's, it's quite literally impossible to give an all-out effort on a leg extension and hit rep number 20 and then right. immediately go to a squat or a leg press with an appreciable amount of weight on it and give 20 more reps. You're not going to do it. You know, 20 reps, too absolute failure. I can tell you the weight's too light. That's all. So if anything, I found out and I shared with Joanne at the time that through my empirical evidence of training clients, you needed about half as many reps when you went to the compound movement, the leg press or the squat. You need If you did 12 reps on the leg extension, you need six on the squat. If you did 20 on the leg extension, you need 10 on the leg press. You see? So yeah. that was one thing that, again, if I wrote the book with them, I would have been like, yeah, you need to correct that. So that's not what was in the original Heavy Duty 2 Mind and Body, nor was it what we were doing in the gym. Even Mike, right across the gym from me, training his clients, and me on the other end of the gym, we were both doing those workouts on people. At the same time, and we were not doing 20 reps, supersetted with another 20 reps. It's ridiculous. It's a cardiovascular failure. It's not momentary muscular failure. So the bottom line became that and then the curl situation to answer the upper body question of when do I do my lats in that one week of shoulders and arms? Well, if you feel that you really need to do them, I'd I'd still do it. Supersetting the curl with chin-ups, back-to-back, no rest. Include the chin-ups, and that way you are indirectly training your lats to failure as well. So upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body. I'm glad you cleared that up. And did you feel like that was the 
we'll say ideal amount for you during your competitive reign because that's you started that routine in the 90s and i yeah. remember reading an article also on uh, i think it was like it was it in, i have it actually pulled up here i want to say it's ian duckett's channel you had my most yeah. result producing routine and that's this one that you were talking about the chest and back upper yeah. with the legs and the four days in between rest and then you do the shoulders and arms upper again and then the legs four days later and i remember you included very specific exercises as well like you would have squats on lower and you would have deadlifts i believe the deadlifts were on upper when you did the chest and yeah. back correct um yes. do you feel do you feel like or when you look back in hindsight that there were certain exercises for something that is so concise like you were talking about 17 minute workouts one set do you feel like there's certain exercises that are almost like a must do for something like that for you to get the most bang for your buck? That's a good question. Um, that's highly individual. Uh, number one is the exercises that I would choose to do that I have clients do are ones that number one, they fit their structure. So for some people squatting with a barbell on the back is not necessarily it. Uh, I would have them do belt squats, for example. Okay. So various forms of belt squats. You're going to see in one of my courses upcoming in 2024, I have a great home version of belt squats. Not good. Great. Um, so depending on the individual, the choice of exercises is up to them. But you do need to use a certain combination on that ideal routine where you are using a little bit of pre-exhaust uh, using dumbbell flies to an inclined barbell press, for example, or yes, doing uh, 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 you know a leg extension to a squat. So in essence, yes, those are needed. The compound movements are being used as a tool to push the muscle further than it went just on the isolation movement. That's the best way to, to put it. That's what pre-exhaust is. Pre-exhaust is using an isolation movement immediately followed by a compound movement with zero rest. So if you're going to use it on uh, uh, chest, like I just said, you're isolating the pecs by doing dumbbell flies. And then you immediately get on some inclined presses or flat bench presses, and your pecs are going to be done. They're going to be done. You're relying on your shoulders and your triceps to push them way further than they would have gone otherwise. So effectively, that one superset, of one set dumbbell flies, one set compound movement press of your choice. Okay, see how I said that? That combination just takes the muscle beyond anything it would have normally gone to. Even momentary muscular failure, you do that on the fly when the form breaks down, but then on the press, you're gonna hit it again. So twice really hitting momentary muscular failure, but in different ways within one combination for one body part. Uh, the, the doing the biggest bang for your buck. Yes, you do need to do, uh, some kind of, you know, for, again, it's highly individual. Some people cannot deadlift safely, nor do they feel like they can, or they have injuries that they cannot do it safely. Assuming that you're uninjured, then yes, you should do deadlift. You should do squat with perfect form and not to complete muscular failure stop one rep shy of that yes 
That's all for part one. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, make sure to share and tag us on all social media platforms, including Instagram. The links will be in the description if you want to get in touch with John. If you haven't already, check out the Longevity Muscle YouTube channel where we post videos from not only this episode, but future episodes and, of course, past episodes. You'll find content on there that hasn't even been released yet on Spotify, iTunes, or any of the podcast audio apps. So definitely subscribe. And of course, it helps grow the channel and the show when you do. So we appreciate that. And if you enjoyed this episode, you're going to want to stay tuned for next week where we're going to drop part two with John Hart. We get into a lot of other great topics. That's all for now. And until next time.